0: 95 Live from the Sharjah International Book
1: Fair at the Expo Center Sharjah.
0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our live coverage of the Sharjah International Book Fair here at the Expo Center Sharjah. And we're absolutely delighted to have with us here in the studio Rabina Khan. She's one of the most influential hijab wearing politicians from the United Kingdom having served as a Liberal Democrat councillor in London and worked as a special advisor in the House of Lords. Uh, she's also uh, regularly writes uh, for various publications, most notably the national here in the United Arab Emirates. And we're very excited because your mem- memoir came out uh, this year, My Hair is Pink Under This Veil. Very interesting title, Robina. How did you come up with that?
2: Well, firstly, thank you for um, asking me to come on the radio station here. So my hair is pink under this veil was written after an interaction in 2015 when I stood in a very difficult um, election. And so this white man asked me what color my hair was under my veil and I said it was pink. I didn't though ask him what color his hair was before he went bald. So, (laughs) So it is those kind of interactions as a Muslim woman that you have to respond to when someone from the West asks a question you respond in a humour, you challenge those stereotypes, you dispel the stereotype of what someone might have of the Muslim woman.
0: Yeah. And, and can you tell us more about, because this is something that's uh, key to your book, the experiences of Muslim women in the West, especially veiled women. How would you describe the current perception of those women? Are there any negative stereotypes that persist to this very day?
2: So I think what we have to look at is post 9-11. So the narrative around Muslim women and the Muslim community in the West, particularly in the UK, was often demonised by the actions of 9-11. And so we found ourselves in a place where the Muslim community in the UK were polarised and the victims from that community were Muslim women. They were demonised. The narrative around them was often about oppression, the inability to do something. And if you wore the hijab, then obviously you were some kind of fundamentalist. And so that narrative was taken from us. And the people excluded from that debate were Muslim women. Fast track 20 years later, you now see a movement of young Muslim women in the UK who've taken their narrative back to tell stories that, for example, they can be GPs, they can be doctors, lawyers, people in public life. And what they've done is, is challenged that stereotypical image of a Muslim woman to show that actually modesty and the veil is something that's unique to the Muslim identity whether they are of different cultural backgrounds and to be able to express that and I uh, for example in my area that I stand as a, as a counsellor I have young women who are bloggers who, who use the modest um, wear and we only have to look at the modest wear value, the way that young women have taken that and turned it into a fashion industry. So it is about challenging perceptions of the Western um, world, about Muslim women and telling our stories and not having someone else tell our stories.
1: I've got to touch upon this because, you know, nowadays if people go over to London, they'll see how multicultural it is, how multi-ethnic it is. Very, very uh, big Muslim um, uh, communities have sprung up as well, which is really good to see. Uh, But we'd like to touch upon the inspiration of the book. Uh, You talked about how your parents moved over to Kent at the start, Um, and uh, if we can quote something from your book which says, we were fish thrown on a shore, wriggling hopelessly trying to get back to the sea, very, very powerful words. Talk to us about, to paint the picture for people to understand your book uh, of what the situation was back then, Mm. and does it still continue?
2: So I, I went from Bangladesh to the UK when I was three years old in 1975. My father went to the UK when he was 19 years of age. And so we lived on a street where we were the only family of colour, forget being a Muslim, we were the only family of colour. And I went to a school where I was the only child of colour. And in that school, I still remember the Christian faith was very, in fact, it enriched my life. So. We used to say the Lord's Prayer before we had our lunch, we had an assembly, we had hymns. But one thing for sure was there was no one like me in a book that I read. There was not a brown person that I came across in the books of 1975. The books were Janet and John. Janet had blonde hair, blue eyes, and so did John. And so there were these roles there that never reflected us. The very first time I saw a woman of color in a book was Pocahontas. Mm. And Pocahontas is the Native American um, indigenous people of the America of America, and she was there. And the only reason I came across her is because we were going to study her. Pocahontas had gone to the UK during her time, and she had been buried near, very much near where we lived in Kent. And that was really important. But I do remember the white privilege and the racism that was there. So I, I still remember, because I was brought up in, I, I don't know, you, you must know, Charles Dickens, who's the most significant. Yes, yeah of course. yeah so Charles Dickens' town is where I grew up. And I still remember as a child, when we walked through the high street, my father used to take us on a Saturday because he loved the library. Libraries were very important in my household. Books were very important. And he used to encourage us to read David Copperfield, Oliver, Oliver Twist, all of these books. And as we walked along the high street, there was a bakery called Mrs. Bumble's and it's still there. And in those days, in the early 80s, we as brown children had to wait outside. For the uh, no way. The ba- yeah, in the bakeries. And the white children would be allowed to go in with their parents. And my father used to go in and he used to purchase these donuts. We were desperate for these donuts. They were beautiful, baked on the premises. And the woman, very, very white, and I still remember her, red hair, wow. and would want us as little brown children standing outside and holding each other's hands while we sort of um, squashed our faces against the window. And she used to tap on the window and say, move, move. And then I still remember years, years later, when I was 13 and I thought about this woman and I decided that I would go in there. I would make sure that I would buy those donuts with my, children, with my mm. siblings. And she will not let me get out, you know, she wouldn't tell me. And so I did. And eventually it was actually a, I remember it was a builder who stood up for me. And, you know, a very working class man who stood up for me, a white man, and said, no, no, why shouldn't she come in? I can come into this shop. And so it's very touching to see those things. And as we moved along, what's enriched that community is the fact that we've been able to engage and share cultures and just as we're doing here at the Sharjah Book Authority um, Festival here it is about exchange of ideas and it is about the perceptions of people and if you have this communication it really will build a huge amount of awareness not just of the Muslim community but I think of the Arab world
1: here. No, certainly very important. Now, I've got to touch upon this as well. Now, being a politician as well, um, you, 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 you're always thinking that if I speak my words, if I write it down, if it's published out there as well, it could potentially backfire. If I speak up of what's happened, you know, the experiences I've been through, did you ever have those thoughts? And, and, and did, was it also a motivating factor for you to say, no, uh, That you know, the, the truth needs to be told. People need to be aware of what has happened for you to be growing up uh, in, in the UK during those difficult
2: times Well yes most certainly it has to, I mean I had my own thoughts about and it was daunting writing the book yeah. but it was Covid that helped me write <laughs> the book <laughs> so you sat at home and my agent and, my, and particularly my mother and my family especially my sister said you have to write them down okay people need to know in the western world what a Muslim woman has had to go through whether it's in public life or in the workplace from the times I still remember um, in, in a workplace, someone asked me to take my veil off, my headscarf off, because they thought it, I was might be really hot. And that question, are you hot under that veil, it's such a question that's often asked. Oh, no. And I think it's important, not just because, for myself, but for the rest of young Muslim women coming through. And I say this, I had a visit yesterday as part of this tour to a, um, a secondary girls school in, just outside of Sharjah, and I was touched by one of the things the young women asked me, a brilliant school and it's full of young bright young women who are coming forward and the Arab world should be proud of them and it's led by a women you know all women teachers and she said to me do you think that the barriers in the future will be removed for Muslim women to participate and to make us our voice known in this world and I said no Mm. I will never say to you that these barriers will be removed because we just don't know and the struggles that you face will always be there. It is how you can use your own identity to find that strength. Mm. Um, I'm really actually, um, I'm very fond of how you've delivered to the readers the experiences of British women and what they endure or go through um, because of wearing the headscarf. So um, could you share with us one of the most, let's say, hardest experiences uh, experiences that you've encountered? Uh, as a hijab wearing Muslim mm-hmm. woman? Yeah, um, so... I were As a politician, I was Cabinet Member for Housing and Regeneration yes. for five years. I was part of the Olympics village that we hosted in one of the host boroughs. And as part of that, I had to go to Parliament to give my feedback. Now, my white peers were all male, mm-hmm. and we stood out inside the House of Commons um, waiting for the clerk to take us in. He came and he took all the white male Cabinet members and assumed I was some kind of assistant. And This happens not just as a woman, but it happens because I was wearing a hijab. Now, I could hear the chairperson of the committee calling out my name, and eventually the clerk, who was a white man, came back and said, I think you're councillor, Rabina Khan, and I said, yes. And I was determined that I would sit there until he came back for me um, and not go and and say to him, well, I'm cabinet member, you know, lead member for housing, my name is Rabina Khan, but I made sure he came back and collected me. So those experiences of being a Muslim woman it's really important to challenge anybody who attempts to undermine you, not just as a Muslim woman, but as a woman as well.
0: And, and as someone, because my family members also wear the hijab, so the way that veiled women are treated it's its unfortunately the, 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 the prejudiced way with which they are treated is not something that's limited to the West, it's something that happens here as well. And I'd like to ask you about modern feminism. Mm-hmm. There's some people's interpretation of that is certain women need to be liberated or if they wear a veil they're somehow being tied down or they're forced to do it you don't just see that in the west you even see it here in Muslim countries or Muslim majority countries as well so I'd like to ask you if you've brushed with that ex- perception of feminism and, and what your thoughts on that are
2: So. I wrote an article um, for The New Hour recently, and in the article I wrote about how white feminism doesn't reflect the experiences of women of colour. Yeah, It can never represent it. And I've, I've said that in interviews when, after I published the book. The lived experiences of a woman of colour, whether they are a Muslim woman, a woman from Africa, is so different to mainstream feminism. Mainstream feminism is derived from colonial experiences in which the women... For example, I write about this, is the Aya, who was a nanny at the time, would be perceived as someone who was oppressed with a scarf on. So mainstream feminism is often derived from colonialism, which doesn't reflect the experiences of women of colour. Women of colour and their lived experiences was not seen in the Me Too campaign. That was something really, you know, very difficult for me, the Me Too campaign that enabled women to speak out yes. about abuse did not embrace women of color and their experiences. We had to call that out. Now, in terms of in the Muslim community, we, we, we will always hear that there are those perceptions that why do you need to wear the scarf? Are you oppressed? We need to be a more outgoing, maybe we might need to duplicate the West, but why do we need to duplicate the West? Yes. We have our own identity, we should be proud of it. And I, when I look at the Sharjah Book Fair and I see the things here, I would say that the London Book Fair would have to, you know, look up to this festival. Mm. They've set the bar. Yeah. The, the, the festival here has set the bar for the next festivals. Particularly the fact that this is a significant event in light of the fact we've had so many events online. This, you know, real, you know, interaction with people shows that actually the Arab world needs to and that Arab voices, whether they are female writers, they need to be seen in the West for what they are, their experiences.
1: You've got a a session tonight, um, and that's uh, titled The Presence of Women in Literary Achievement. Uh, What's going to be your main message during this forum, and why should people be attending if they're listening to us uh, in this afternoon? And they've got a few more hours to decide and and plan the day ahead.
2: Well, I hope I've convinced you all listening (laughs) now that you can attend this evening. Um, One of the things that I will talk about is that women have historically written as men because the the Bronte sister, Charlotte Bronte, Emily Bronte, they all wrote as women, as men um, and they didn't want to show their identity as women because at that time women writers were not accepted and it's the same thing if we look at the um, mirrors of the current uh, um, writers you will see women who withheld their um, name and write under the name of a male because they want to be accepted. Unfortunately, women in literature are hugely underrepresented and women from diverse backgrounds are even more underrepresented in literature, in writing. And I think that is the key thing that I have been talking about. Yeah.
0: And how are you seeing the tides changing, so to speak, moving forward? Uh, are, are women becoming more empowered in those conversations? Can you tell us about the state of progress uh, as of late?
2: Well, we have um, diversity awards, we've got things that are happening, but I think a whole heap of work needs to be done, particularly in the publishing world, um, particularly for women from um, African writers' backgrounds. And I, it's really pleasing to see that some of this has been part of the debate at this um, festival, which I think is huge. And in terms of women being, having that place, mentorship, writers in residence, being able to see someone like myself and the school, for example, that I attended yesterday, young woman asked me, how can I become a journalist? How can my work get accepted? Start from little things, start from writing, blogging, writing pieces, writing for free, writing down, and be your own critique as well.
0: Well, this uh, session is going to be taking place today in Forum 2, starting 7.15 p.m. until 8.15 p.m. Uh, Rabina Khan, it's been an absolute delight talking to you about your memoir and the experiences of Muslim women here and around the world as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Stay tuned to Pulse95. We'll continue our live coverage of the Sharjah International Book Fair, got more interviews with the participating authors, and so much more right here on Pulse95.
1: Pulse95 Live from the Sharjah International Book Fair
0: at the Expo Center Sharjah.